Fantastic. Great to be with you. Morning, everyone. Let's move that forward a bit, if that's right. So, good to be here. Yes, I brought young Jack Dunn with me, keeping me company. So, thank you, Jack. Thank you for coming along. It's good to be together. Great to worship. Hey, Tony, what a testimony. That was fantastic. Did my heart good to hear that this morning. And um, there's a phrase you used, which is like, you could have read my preaching notes. It was beautiful. You talked about the fact that we get saved into a family, but sometimes that can be a challenging family. That's, I think, what you said. I want to talk about the joy of being together in church life. Some of what the Bible teaches about our togetherness. We've just seen an expression of that. So Dave Holden talking about Ashburnham and these events. We, we know it's important not to be independent as local churches. We're part of a family. And um, it's just beautiful, Justin, just to hear that of how our churches have served one another in years. And that's been the story, really, of New Frontiers, hasn't it? Or New Ground Now, that actually these churches are together. They're not independent. They're serving one another. But also, we're not independent in the local church, are we? We actually need one another. And we need um, the encouragement of one another and the care of one another and the support of one another. And I want to talk a little bit about the importance of our relationships in the local church. So the title of my talk today is Submit to One Another. Okay, that's the title of my talk. And um, it's great to be able to unpack these things. Let me just pray before we get going. Let's do that, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is powerful. Thank you your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you, Lord God, it is useful for everything, teaching, training, and righteousness. Thank you it is a lamp to our feet. Thank you, Lord. We love your word. We don't want to be um, like the person that James talks about, the guy that just listens to it but then walks away and doesn't put it into practice, like looking at yourself in the mirror and then forgetting what you look like, James says. No, we want to be doers of the word. We want to hear it, receive it, and then live it. And so I pray today, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come and help me as I teach. I pray you'd help this great church here um, to receive whatever it is you want to say to them. And I pray, Lord God, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers. So our lives may glorify Jesus. So we pray, come and speak to us, Lord. We want to be open, open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, open our ears to hear what you have to say to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. Now, obviously, I don't know all of you very well. I know some of you, I'm a visitor here. Maybe you're a visitor here today. Maybe this is one of your first times at church, and you're trying to work out what church is. Um, for some people, they think church, uh, and what's the first thing they think of? They think about a building, whether that be a city center cathedral or a um, country rural village church or whether it's a converted school or a converted warehouse or whatever it is. When they think church, they think building, I'm going to go to church today. Thinking about the building or other people might think it's a meeting, it's like a service. I'm going to go to the church meeting today. Now, obviously, we need buildings and we need meetings. It's important to gather together. But obviously the church is much bigger than that. The church is the people. If, if this building burnt down, Crawley Community Church would still exist, wouldn't it? Because you are Crawley Community Church. You have been um, very blessed by God to have this amazing facility. 
But the church is the body, it's the family, it's the people. They're the kind of images and language that the Bible talks about. It's a community, it's a people, it's a body. And um, a family, we've, we've made reference to that already, it's a family. Now, I often preach on this kind of subject about um, our relationships within the local church because I think it's so important to keep considering our relationships with one another. I think it's so important because I think it was really, really important for Jesus. Go back 2,000 years in your mind. Think about Jesus praying just before his arrest and um, his trial and his crucifixion. What was on Jesus' heart when he was praying? What was he envisioning when he was thinking about his church? If we um, look at John 17, you may want to just turn there. I'm going to be looking at a number of passages this morning. We get a little glimpse into what Jesus was imagining when he was imagining his church, when he was praying for his church. We, we get a sense of what's really, really important to him. And there's an amazing thing going on in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying just before, like I said, he's arrested and crucified And you know, in this prayer, he's praying for us. If you look at it, you'll see that he prays for himself. This may be the headers in your Bible in John 17, the first few verses, 1 to 5, he's praying for himself. Verse 6 to 19, it says he prays for his disciples. They are the people, the 12, that were following him at the time. And then it says, in my Bible, in the NIV, it says Jesus prays for all believers. Who else has got that in their Bible as the header? Jesus prays for all believers. And look what it says in in verse 20. So Jesus is praying to the Father. My prayer is not for them alone, as in the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's us. We are here today following Jesus because those first disciples were faithful. They took the gospel to the ends of the earth, as Jesus told them to do. We heard the gospel through whatever it was, a Sunday morning or an Alpha course or parents or grandparents. But ultimately, you root it back to the faithfulness of those first disciples. So Jesus here was praying for us, which, by the way, is just an extraordinary thing, isn't it? That in Jesus' heart, in this moment of his life, he's praying for all those that would come, including us. And he says this, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. I wonder what he's going to pray. I pray they may be really busy um, in church life. I pray they may run lots and lots of programs and activities. I pray their websites are really contemporary. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. What's the thing that Jesus is praying for? What's on his heart? Our relationships. Father, the thing I long for most is that they may be one. Do you see what he said? As you and I are one. Just imagine that for a moment. Imagine the beautiful harmony and perfect community of the Trinity without any flaw, without any insecurity, um, beautiful self kind of deference to prefer the other. Just think about the Trinity where the Father says, here's my son, I'm so pleased. And the son says, oh, here's my father, I just do what he says to me. And then Jesus says, it's better I go that I can send the Spirit. And the Spirit says, no, no, I just want to point people to Jesus. And the Father says, ask me and I'll send the Spirit. And it's like this 
beautiful oneness. And Jesus is saying, my prayer for the church is that they may be one just as we are one. Now, that's a huge thing to get your head around, isn't it? That's his heart for his church. That's his heart for us, that our relationship somehow reflect the Trinity. He doesn't pray that we'll be busy. He doesn't even pray that we'll be fruitful, even though we know that it's important to Jesus. What's on his heart is he prays that we'll be one, that there's a unity in us, there's a togetherness, there's a oneness. Why? Well, he gives the answer. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's amazing, isn't it? So how will the world, how will cruelly know that there is a Father, good God in heaven, who sent his Son for the salvation of all humanity by our oneness? I pray they may be one so that the world may know that you sent me. Now, we're a busy church down at Kings Mid-Sussex. We run Alpha courses. We run ministries. We do lots and lots of things, all of which we believe are very, very important. But Jesus is praying the primary way the world will know there is a God who sent the Son, Jesus, is by the way we do life together, by our relationships, by our oneness, by our unity. Elsewhere in John 13, Jesus says to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another. By this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples. How will the world know that we're his disciples? Um, By our relationships. By how I choose to speak about people in my church. By what I choose to think about them. By how I pray for them. By how I care for them, love them, serve them. By our oneness. I recently, about maybe two months ago, I preached about prayer in our church, and I I just preached uh, just a little bit about the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you've ever noticed about the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, Master, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, when you pray, pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Did you notice how it started? Our Father. It's, It's a corporate prayer. It's not my Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give me today my daily bread. Give me what I need. Forgive me my sins. It's a corporate prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. It's a corporate thing. We, our culture makes everything private and individualistic. Our culture makes everything about me, about my ambition, my dreams, my hopes, my desires, my life, my rights. It's not the language of the Bible. The Bible is it's, it's us. It's, it's praying for our Father to forgive our sins, to give us our daily bread. It's a corporate thing because Jesus always imagines a family, not a bunch of individuals following him. We live in a very individualistic, me-centered world, and this stuff is hugely important because without care, church, what can happen is that individualistic, me-centeredness begins to creep into the church. Well, I'll come as long as it fulfills my objectives and my preferences and ticks my boxes. And that's just completely opposite to the language of the New Testament. No, I pray they may be one. I pray they may be united together. We need family. We need relationships. We need togetherness. Uh, uh, Pete Gregg, an author. Anyone heard of Pete Gregg? Show me your hands. Written some great books. If you've not read the book Dirty Glory, let me recommend it to you. Um, He says this. We all need the encouragement, the challenge, there's the words, and the discomfort of active participation in a local worshipping community. We need the encouragement of it. 
the challenge of it, and occasionally the discomfort of it. Because Jesus prayed that we would be one. Now there's one verse I really want to kind of build the whole message on today. It's in Ephesians. You may want to turn there. Ephesians 5 verse 21. And um, I'll kind of do the bit of the backstory in a moment. But let me read the verse. Ephesians 5.21. Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus. Very difficult place to build a church. All kinds of other pagan worship going on and challenges and obstacles. And in verse 21 of chapter 5, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on. He talks about how that works out in marriage and how it works out between parents and children and how that works out in the workplace in the rest of 5 and 6. But he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you look at the beginning of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 is all about the glory of the gospel. That um, we, are, we were dead in our sins, we've been made alive in Christ. We've received every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have been um, chosen and adopted as sons and heirs of his throne. Um, not by anything we've done, not by our works, but by grace that we may not boast in our own things. And we're his masterpiece and he's made um, the two one and broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And it's like this incredible description of what God has done through Jesus on the cross. And then the second half of Ephesians gets really practical. Like Ephesians 1 to 3, here's the gospel. It's amazing. Ephesians 4, 5 to 6, right, this is how you live, therefore, in light of that. Look at chapter 4, what he says, first of all, at the beginning of chapter 4. As a prisoner, he's writing there in prison for the Lord then. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I've just painted this glorious picture of the gospel. I'm encouraging you now to live a life worthy of that calling. Right, okay, what's the life worthy of the calling? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Oh, I thought it was like, go to the ends of the earth. Yeah, I mean, live radically, live courageously. No, the first application is this. Be patient with one another. Be gentle with one another. Be humble in your relationships. Um, Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Yeah, if the gospel means something to you, make every effort to stay together, (laughs) to stay united, because that really, really counts. And Ephesians 4 is incredibly practical. It says things like this, don't let the sun go down on an argument. Has anyone ever heard that phrase? Yeah, it's a biblical idea. Um, it's a really useful thing within family and with marriage, I've discovered in 21 years of marriage. Don't let the sun go down on an argument. But who's Paul writing to? He's writing to a church. And he's saying, look, if you fall out, don't let the sun go down because what will happen, it will give the devil a foothold. And it's really important to make every effort to keep united. So make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's very practical, the Bible. Very, very practical. It also says in chapter 4, only speak... What is helpful for building others up? That's a challenge, isn't it? (laughs) Only allow words that come out of your mouth that are going to build someone else up. Don't ever allow a word to come out of your mouth that might tear someone down. Why? Because our relationships are so important to the gospel. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. At the end of chapter 4, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brooding, and slander. Be kind. Do you know, there's a whole sermon about the beautiful power and simplicity of kindness. Be kind and compassionate to one another. 
forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. And then beginning chapter 5, be imitators of God, which feels like quite a hard thing to do. I don't know about you. I read that verse and think, what? How do I imitate God? I mean, the Bible tells me he's completely other than me. We'll come back to that. As dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. What I'm trying to explain to you is that the whole application for Paul of the gospel is how we do life together. How we keep short accounts, how we forgive, how we're kind, how we're together, how we're humble, how we're patient. And then we get that verse in 21, so submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. What does the word reverence mean? To revere means to respect or admire or think highly of, have a high opinion of, hold in high regard, esteem, Think much of, approve of, appreciate, cherish, value, prize, or treasure. Thank you, Lord, for Google Theosaurus. <laughs> submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why do we submit to one another in the church? Because Jesus means so much to us. If Jesus is your treasure, if you esteem Jesus, if you respect Jesus, if you admire Jesus, if Jesus has any place in your heart, if he's important to you, if you want to value Jesus, then submit to one another. See, there is a, a, a direct relationship between our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with one another. We cannot separate the two, which makes this whole idea of churchless Christianity such a farce. We need one another. We need to be engaged in a family. We need to be Together, if knowing Jesus means anything to you, then display your reverence for him by submitting to one another. There's a similar verse in Philippians that says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceits. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Same thing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Value others above yourself. Don't do anything because of your own interests. That's a big thing for the local church, by the way. Don't do anything because of your own interests, but only because of the interests of others. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to talk about how he laid down his life, surrendered, became a slave, even became obedient to death on a cross. Submit to one another. Value others above yourselves. Don't live insisting on getting our own way. We don't engage with the church on the basis of our preferences. No, we engage on the basis of what we can do to bless others, to serve, to encourage, because we are to value others above ourselves, because that's what Jesus did. He emptied himself and humbled himself and became obedient and submitted his own life, even to death on a cross. So out of reverence for him, submit to one another. Now, this is what the Bible says who here knows this is deeply challenging? Anyone know this is not straightforward to do? The challenge of family is exactly that. It's not easy always to submit to one another. It's not always easy to put others' interests above your own. It's not always easy to humble yourself. Maybe you think, well, yeah, I'll submit to this person. I'll understand why it makes sense for me to submit to this person but I'm not sure about this person over here. I'm not sure I submit their life to them, but there's no conditions in the Bible. Submit to one another. 
out of reverence for Christ. We might think, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I, I, I will surrender my life and, and come under this person's leadership maybe or advice or counsel, but not this person over here, not a chance. But even leaders in the Bible are called to lay down their life as servants and as slaves for the church that they're leading and not to lord it over. The whole thing is of mutual submission and we live in a culture that doesn't like to submit to anything. I don't know if you realize that our culture doesn't like the word submission. It's seen as a dirty word. It's seen as a weak word. If you submit, it's a sign of weakness in our culture. No, no, you live for yourself. No, no, no one can tell you what you should do or what you can't do. Your rights are paramount. No, no, you, what you want to get out of life is the most important thing. There's no sense of submission in our culture. You might have noticed that by seeing a certain political debate on TV recently. There's not much submission going on in our culture. It feels like everyone is out for their own interests. And we don't like submitting to authority. That idea of submission um, to a, an authority has kind of been undermined in our culture. So you might have to submit to your boss at work because otherwise you might lose your job, but you might do it begrudgingly. You don't really want to do it. There's certain situations we have to submit. If you're driving along and a certain car arrives with blue lights flashing right on your bumper. You might have to pull over and submit in that moment to the law of the land. But even our police culturally aren't held with that high regard by many. Do you understand that culturally this idea of submission? Has anyone happened that? Do you want to confess now that you've been pulled over by the police? I have once. It happened to me. I pulled over. Faulty brake light. That's all that it was. I promise you that's all that it was. But we don't like this idea of submission in our culture. We don't like this idea that my life is somehow accountable to someone else's. Now, my life is mine. I'll do my own thing with my life, thank you very much. And then the Bible says, submit to one another. I wonder if we can, um, just in a moment, I'm going to show a very, very short video clip. It's very old. It's over 50 years old. It's from a time where comedy was a much simpler art than it is today. Um, this is um, John Cleese and Ronnie Barker and Ronnie Corbett in 1966. Guys, if that can go, that would be fantastic. Thank you. 1966, 50 whatever it is years old. Um, in a brilliant, simple comedy. Um, but obviously, the point is, within our culture, there are certain hierarchies. Um, there still exists a classism in our society, absolutely, but there's all kind of other hierarchies now. It might be on your postcode. Um, I look up to you because you live in this postcode. I look down on you because you look, uh, live in this postcode. It may be because whether you have employment or what employment or no employment. It might be social media status. I have X amount of followers. You have this amount of followers, so I appear a bit higher in the pecking order because of social media status. It might be the car that we drive clothes that we wear, the holidays that we go in, we can all have this sense of comparison. I look up to you because I saw on Facebook where you went on holiday and we can't do that. I look down on you because I saw where you go on holiday and I'm so glad we don't have to do that. There's hierarchies that exist in our culture. It still exists based on wealth or celebrity or whatever it is. There are these hierarchies of well, I'll look up to you, but I will look down on you, not in the church. 
Those hierarchies do not exist or should not exist in the church. Because in the church, we all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We all lay down our lives for one another. We prefer one another. We want to honor one another. It doesn't matter in the church whether we are Jew or Greek, the Bible says, slave or free, male or female. Let's add in employed or unemployed, educated or uneducated. There are no hierarchies. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So we submit our lives to one another out of reverence for Jesus. We don't view the world and one another in the way the world views those social distinctions. We need to be different. We need to stand out. Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. Why? Because you don't play the same games as the world. There's something different about us as the local church, as the community of God that shines brightly in this world of trying to get up the ladder at anyone else's expense. The Bible says we need each other. And it's not about what or who we think we need or even what we necessarily want is what we need. Sometimes, you know, we can approach church based on our needs. You may be here um, because um, of your needs. Actually, I need a church which is near and it has a large car park and it's convenient to park and they do decent coffee afterwards or whatever it is. No, no, the Bible is less concerned, well, God is less concerned by what you think you need or what you think you want, what he is concerned about is what you actually need. We go, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. A consumer mindset, God is like, no, no, I'm not that interested about what you want. I'm interested in what you need. You need to be in a church where you can submit to one another. You need to be in a body. You need to be in a community. Um, you know that famous passage, um, uh, many of you will know this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul says, um, the church is like a body, and the body has many parts, but it's still one body. I'll, I'll read some of the verses from 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now, if a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for one another." See what it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. I cannot say to anyone in my local church, I don't need you. I need every single one. You cannot say to anyone else in this local church, I don't need you. Because you're part of a body. And everybody has a part. And for whatever reason, you are here at Crawley Community Church. You may be here for whatever reason in your mind. I will tell you the biblical reason why you're here today. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 18 but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You're here because God wants you to be here. You may have all the reasons yourself while you're here, but the Bible tells us this. The parts are placed together in the body because God has placed them where he wants them to be. So God's got a reason for you being part of Crawley Community Church. 
He has got a plan and he's got a purpose. And no one in Crawley Community Church can say to anyone else, I don't need you. In the same way, you can't say to anyone else, I don't need you, because God is the one who's placed the parts of the body together. We need one another. We submit to one another. We actually need one another for our strengthening, encouragement, challenge. All those one another's in the New Testament serve one another, love one another. We, we preach on those, the admonish one another. You don't hear many sermons about, actually. But there's a part of one another in which is like, what are you doing, you muppet? Don't do that. That's part of discipleship. Why are you doing that? Admonishing one another in love because you care about the individual and the choices that they're making. The togetherness, the one another in of the church. We need one another. God has put the parts of the body together. But as I said at the beginning, we'll start rounding in on this. Who knows it's not easy? Who knows that church relationships are not straightforward? Anyone? Thought it might be one or two. There is the huge potential in the local church to frustrate one another, to annoy each other, to wind each other up, to offend each other even unknowingly, to upset each other. So why, why do you think Paul says so many times in his letters, be humble, be patient, be kind, be quick to forgive? Why does he say it so many times? Because he knew that in the local church there are going to be many, many times where we needed to be patient and to bear with one another and to be kind and to be quick to forgive and to submit to one another. That's why we need the Holy Spirit Church, because we cannot do that by ourselves. In fact, this line in Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, comes after verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the people are much cleverer than me that write Bible commentaries say that verse 21 is a continuation from verse 18. One of the outcomes, one of the applications of being filled with the Spirit is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. They're not separate subjects, they're linked. If we want to do this, if we want to build churches where our relationships reflect the heart of Jesus in John 17, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. We love the gifts of the Spirit, don't we? We love prophecy and healing and miracles of faith and words of knowledge. And we talk a lot about the gifts of the Spirit. I think we need to talk as much about the fruit of the Spirit. Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Have you noticed how most of the fruits of the Spirit are needed for healthy relationships? Actually, we need the gifts of the Spirit and we need the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, Paul says, he writes to Corinth, doesn't he? Anyone been to a wedding where they have that reading? Um, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels but do not have love, I'm like a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong. Hands up if you've been to a wedding you've heard those verses. Beautiful verses. Love is patient. Love is kind. And we read it like there's some kind of poem, this romantic piece of prose. It wasn't written like that. It wasn't written to a married couple or an engaged couple. It's written to the most dysfunctional church of the New Testament, <laughs> who were um, getting drunk at communion, were following different leaders, were arguing. There's people in all kinds of immorality. They're in cliques. They're divided. Paul writes them and says, your meetings, they do more harm than good. And then he says to them this, I don't care how many prophetic words you have in your meetings. If you don't love one another, it's just an annoying sound. It's a resounding gong. 
I don't care how much faith you say you have. Without love, it's meaningless. I don't care about even this was radical. I don't even care about your heart for the poor if in the local church you're not loving one another because it discredits everything that you're doing amongst the poor. It's not a, a romantic poem for a married couple. It's a very clear piece of advice to a church that was dysfunctional. And then he says, right, so this is what it looks like. Love is patient. So be patient with each other. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That's a big one in the church, isn't it? Love never gives up. Love perseveres. Love always hopes. It's very practical. It's not this poem out there. It's like, this is what the local church looks like. How will we grow in patience? Well, it starts by putting ourselves in situations where we have to display patience. A local church is a very good place for that. Self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit, don't we? The Bible is so, so practical. It really is so practical. Um, I need the fruits of the Spirit. I'm a dad of four. I've got a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 9-year-old and a 6-year-old. Um, I've got two girls and two boys. I need the fruits of the Spirit for parenting. Any other parents know what I'm talking about here? Where the Bible says the fruits of the Spirit is patience. I'm like, I need this. There was a situation where my boys, when they were younger, drew pictures with rocks on my car. In that moment, I needed to, I genuinely, I'm like, I was on top of the downs in the car park, and I'm like, Father, you've got to give me the Holy Spirit because I don't know what I'm going to do here. And, and on the way home, in trying to discipline my, my sons and, and trying to let them know why drawing on the car with rocks isn't a good idea, I said, Levi, seriously, mate, I've, you've got to realize that this isn't what you do. And so on Friday, I'm going to say no sweets Friday. Friday's a sweet day in our house. No sweets after school. And actually, you can't watch telly for the rest of the day. And there's this silence. And my lad, Levi, who's about five years old, just said, Daddy... That is not acceptable. There's his response to me. And I'm like, Lord, please, I need the fruits of the Spirit. I need them right now. We need the fruits of the Spirit in the church. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We need to put ourselves in situations where we are alongside others and not just those people that we like, or those people that are like us. But to put ourselves in situations where actually we choose to submit to one another and love one another and be patient with one another. I don't know what your small group system. You have life groups at CCC? Yeah, small groups. Um, it's much easier. If you want to avoid awkward conversations and difficulty and frustrations with people in the church, don't get involved in the life group. Because we avoid conflict when we stay removed from people, don't we? It's, it's easier to do that, but you're not going to grow in the way Jesus wants you to grow as a disciple. Because Jesus designed and prayed that we'd be one. And that's got to be worked out. There's choices we've got to make to how we're going to do that. When Jesus imagined the church, he never imagined a meeting where people would turn up in a room at the end, they would shake the vicar's hand on their way out and never speak to anyone else in that room for another week. Jesus imagined the family. He prayed for unity. He prayed for oneness. That was his heart. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And remember, this matters because ultimately the world will know we're his followers, 
not by our website, so websites are important, so I don't want to dismiss websites. Joe, it's probably your responsibility. You've got a great website, okay? I'm not want to discourage the website. I'm just saying the thing on Jesus' heart was relationships first. The other stuff's important, but without right relationships. Let's go back to Ephesians 5 verse 1, and I'll finish on this. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God, therefore. I find that verse quite daunting. I think God's quite amazing. Outside of my understanding, higher than I understand, wider than I understand. And yet, Paul says, be imitators of God. I'm thinking, okay, how do I interpret that? Well, Paul helps us. As dearly beloved children. Right, I'm thinking, okay, that helps me because I can see things my children do that imitate me. It's sometimes good, sometimes bad. Uh, my six-year-old the other day, I heard him come out with this phrase, oh my days. And I thought, that's a really odd thing for a six-year-old to say. And I'm like, oh, that's what I say. Okay, he's imitating his dad, right. Even worse than that, a few months ago, we had a meal as a family, um, not unusual, we do that every day. Um, but it's really, I love, I'm a food fan, it was really good food. And at the end of the meal, I, I kid you not, I picked up my plate and I licked the plate. And I'm licking the plate. I know, I know in your estimation, I've just gone very down here. Now. Um, I, could, I could sense my wife looking at me. And then I kind of realized what I was doing, put the plate down, to which both my boys instantly went, great, and picked up their plates. And started licking the food off their plates. Because um, <laughs> children tend to imitate their dads or their parents. And here Paul says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Okay, how, how do we know what it means to imitate God? What, what does it mean to look like him? If only there were some who was the image, someone who was the image of the invisible God. Uh, if only there was someone who came and showed us what it looks like to imitate the Father. If only there was someone who came and showed us what it means to only do what the Father says we should do to live obediently. We look to Christ, which is what Paul says, doesn't he? And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So in the end, we think about this subject of submitting to one another. We have to look at Jesus. Jesus, who was there in the beginning before anything was made, who um, everything was made for him and through him, submitted his life to Mary. He submitted himself to Mary, teenage girl, that as a toddler, Mary would care for him, submitted himself. Submitted himself to wash his disciples' feet. John 13, the most humble role of the servant in the household. In fact, it would be the lowest slave of the household would have that job of washing the disciples' feet or anyone's feet. Jesus took on that role. And what did he say? I, I set you an example. You should do this as well. And just think about who he washed. He washed Peter's feet, who he knew was about to betray him and deny him three times. He washed Judas's feet, who he already knew had exchanged him for pieces of silver. And yet he still submitted himself to Judas's dirty, dusty feet. Submission. Submission. He submitted himself to Roman soldiers, hammering nails through his arms. We know with one word, the Bible says, he could have called down a legion of army of angels to save him. We know, the Bible tells us, one word, he calmed a storm. One word, he calmed a storm. And yet in that moment, he submitted himself 
to the brutality of Roman soldiers. Why? Because of the joy set before him, his church, and his desire that we would be one. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another, not because of legalism, not because of law, not because of rules and regulations. We submit to one another because we follow a man called Jesus. We bear his name as a Christian. And, and we follow him because he has so captured our hearts, because he went before us, because we want our lives to point to him, and therefore we live differently to the way the world lives for his sake, out of reverence for him. We submit to one another because he submitted his life. We're quick to forgive because he's quick to forgive. We're humble because he was humble. We're patient because he was patient. We're kind. Actually, you could um, replace that passage in Corinthians with Jesus. Jesus is kind. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus never gives up. Jesus always perseveres. And so we love like him. We turn our gaze to Jesus. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children for Jesus' sake. I pray that this church will know what it means to live that kind of life. I am confident Crawley will notice if you do. I wonder if we can pray. Is that, is that okay? Should we stand to our feet? And it'd be great just to maybe in a moment. What, what time do we finish, by the way? Half past, is it? Okay. Can we just, I just want us to be very open to the Holy Spirit in this moment. Beautiful thing, last week I just prayed like this in our church and um, no one came forward for prayer or anything, but I heard during the week just where someone was standing, they just were overwhelmed by the love of God because the Spirit came and filled them afresh. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to ask for forgiveness? I'd imagine if you're like me, everyone in this room needs more of the Holy Spirit to see the fruit of the Spirit displayed in their life. Let me just pray for that. If you want to know more of the Holy Spirit so that the fruit will be evident. We can't manufacture patience. We can't make ourselves be more self-controlled. We need God. We need his empowering presence. If you want more of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, just open your hands. It's just a simple sign of openness. And so I'm going to pray, Father, you said that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, you would give to those who ask. And so I'm asking for this church, come Holy Spirit. Fill individuals in this room, I pray. May your empowering presence come that you may be glorified Jesus do work in our hearts I pray this morning don't want to just be hearers of the word you want to be doers I pray Lord that Crawley would know Lord God 
that there is a God in heaven who sent his son Jesus for all mankind because of the way this church is one, just as you and the Father are one. So come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Shape relationships. Heal hurts, Lord. Grant grace to forgive where grace is needed. Let the native language of this church be encouragement and words that build up. May love abound. May humility abound. May honoring one another abound. Build your church, Jesus. You said you would. Build this church, I pray. Be glorified, Lord, in not, our, not just our activity, but in our relationships, I pray. Let's worship together, shall we, church?